Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 156. I hope everybody's having a great summer out there. We've been on summer break, uh, getting uh, kids graduated from high school, moved into college, lots of recording sessions. Uh, some gigs happening out there. It's just been a really busy summer. So thanks for hanging with us while we've been on our summer break here at the Drum Shuffle podcast. We have a fantastic episode for you this week. I am going to be joined by the great Nick D. Virgilio right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the U.S., Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned before the break, we're going to be joined by Nick DiVirgilio here in just a moment. Uh, of course, you know, Nick has played with lots of fantastic bands, including Spock's Beard, uh, Big Big Train, Tears for Fears. Um, he, he's just done a ton of great, cool gigs. And of course, um, it was announced back in the spring. Um, and I think the the Japanese leg of the tour has has maybe just concluded uh, Nick is doing the final tour with Mr. Big, which um, anybody that knows me knows what a Mr. Big fan I am. Um, but it was really cool to, to catch up with Nick. Uh, a lot of you may also know him as the drum product specialist at Sweetwater Sound. Nick does all of the uh, drum and percussion reviews, uh, you know, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all those places for Sweetwater. 
So uh, we got to talk to him about all of these things, and it was just a great drum hang and conversation. So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle podcast, the great Nick DiVirgilio. Hey, good afternoon, Nick. How's it going, brother? Good, Jamie. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for taking time to do it. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, lots of exciting stuff going on for you um, that we'll get to here in just a second. But um, if I can, let's let's kind of circle back to um, the early days. You're, You're an L.A. guy, right? Born and raised. Born and raised in L.A., yeah. And you were essentially a self-taught musician. You're not only a drummer, you're a fantastic vocalist. I know you play uh, guitar, you play multiple instruments, but you were, you were sort of self-taught. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I taught myself, well, I taught myself drums. Um, I don't know why I started playing drums to be quite honest, because I, there was no drummers in the family. Um, I was hitting things and my dad bought me a drum kit when I was five years old. So, uh, very supportive parents from the, from the get go. And I just listened to records and started copying what I was hearing. For some reason I was able to do it and I don't, I can't really explain it, but you know, and I mean, I was, wasn't great as a young kid, but I just did hit things and kind of knew where two and four was kind of, so to speak, you know, I, it came to me naturally there. My brother played a bit of guitar and he taught me some stuff when I was young, seven or eight years old. So I started picking up that. And then, uh, Literally, I just listened to records every day, and, and so I, I learned by just playing along. I didn't take my first, like, official drum lesson until I was about 18. Oh, wow. music school. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I, that's I, really I, late I, for a first lesson, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I had, like, people show me stuff and got some tips and tricks along the way. I can't give you real specifics, but I mean, I'm sure I had that here and there, but no real, like, official drum teacher don't know why I played a lot of golf. I was in baseball and doing other things as well. But, um, so I didn't really have a steady teacher. And then when I went to music school, um, Dave Garibaldi was my very first drum teacher. Oh, wow. And I've been studying ever since. Yeah. <laughs> which is a, which an amazing teacher to have to your first drum teacher. Yeah. And I've been a student ever since. Um, I've had many teachers since that time. And, uh, David being one of them, Roy Burns, who's not with us anymore, unfortunately, but Roy Burns, he used to own Aquarium Drumhead and played for many, many years. Roy is an amazing drummer. Uh, he, I studied with him for quite a long time and he was awesome as a, as a teacher. So I've, I'm, I'm fully in it now. <laughs> just as a kid though, there's just Genesis records, Led Zeppelin records were my, were my teacher. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you bring up Genesis, um, you know, and, and I know that you're, um, you, you know, a, 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 I guess, I, dare I say, a prog guy at heart. Right. Um, I know you were a, a huge Phil Collins fan growing up, and I, I know you had the opportunity to actually play with Genesis. And I'm kind of skipping around a little bit here. But, um, you know, you said you went off to music school at 18. Had you had you made the decision by the time you were, you know, high school age that you were going to uh, attempt a pro career as a musician? Yeah. Yeah. I knew it way before then. I mean, I, I knew that when I was a kid, like 11, 10 years old, um, I was really passionate about it. When I became a little bit older, when I was in my high school years, I was playing golf pretty competitively and it was, so it was like one of the two things. But deep down, I knew I was a better musician than I was a golfer. 
even though I was pretty good. And if I was going to be a golfer, I'd have to like just commit, you know, everything to it. Like you do with anything you want to be a pro at. And, um, so music just took precedence and I was in bands already when I was 15 or so I got my, I joined my first band and, um, so yeah, I knew, I mean, I knew it was in my blood already. I got One you. thing I should take a little step back as far as learning how to play drums. My, I learned how to play trumpet from my brother when I was a young kid too. And then when I went into junior high and high school, I didn't really want to play drums in the school bands because I didn't find it very interesting. I, 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 I find that stuff very interesting now as an adult, but when I was a kid, I just didn't think it was as cool because, you know, it was just playing the snare drum. I wanted to rock out a little bit. So I played, I played horns and stuff in my high school bands. And so that's kind of where I learned how to read rhythm and read music. And so that course, that helped me in my drumming tremendously. Um, and so by the time I went to music school, I had, I did have some education as far as what the notes were, what, you know, what rhythm was, um, how to follow on the page, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That definitely helped. Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, I, I think when you play a, um, you know, a melodic instrument, you learn a lot about theory and chord structures and things like that. And that's, that's only going to help you as a drummer, especially if you're in the studio a lot, you know, you, 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 you speak the the language, so to speak, but, um, you know, after music school and, and, you know, I I don't want to gloss anything over here, but I know you met some folks in LA, you know, you, you did the typical LA thing. And that is you took basically every gig. You always said yes. Um, but I know that you met some very specific folks early in your pro career, um, that, that really kind of set a path for you and all these great gigs that you've had. And it's kind of a meandering road. So you can, you know, provide color around that, if you will. Yeah, well, you're right in the in the description there. I was a working stiff in L.A. I mean, uh, I just, yeah, I did everything I could possibly do. I schmoozed. I went to every jam session. I played in all kinds of bands. I mean, every style of music you can literally under the sun. Because in L.A., it's a great melting pot of music styles. You could play in a Latin band one night and a country band the next night and some crazy African rhythmic ensemble the next night after that a heavy metal concert on Friday. I mean, so you can really do everything there if you want to. So I got a great education just kind of working my way around town. But gosh, man, I didn't, um, it was, gosh, five, seven years, five, six, seven years of doing that before I got my break. And my break, um, I really consider it my break. I met Kevin Gilbert. Kevin was, um, Kevin had a band called Toy Matinee that I was a fan of. And it, he, the band didn't really go beyond California, really. I mean, his records are known, or that record, they only made one, was known around the world because he's got fans in Sweden. And it's a very strange thing, but it didn't really expand much farther than that. The other thing Kevin did was he was in the Tuesday Night Music Club with Sheryl Crow and wrote, was one of the co-writers of all of her first hits. So I, I randomly threw, I was doing a cover gig at one of our local ski resorts. And the reason I got the gig is I met another drummer at a jam session. We started becoming friends because we lived somewhat close to each other. The gig was his. He didn't want to do the gig because there was no pay. It was for free ski passes. 
I wasn't working that weekend. I like to ski. So I said, <laughs> yeah, I'll do the gig. So I took the free ski passes and went and did the gig. The guys that were the band for that particular gig were just a, uh, not a professional band. They were just, they did it for fun. They were sort of a blues band. Their regular day jobs were wiring up recording studios, building the patch bays, putting in all the gear, wiring up the consoles. Well, they wired up Kevin Gilbert's studio. When I first talked to the guys, they said, yeah, we're going to invite up all of our friends that we, our studio friends. And they mentioned some names and stuff. Well, none of the people they, sh they invited showed up except Kevin Gilbert and Cheryl Crow, because they were boyfriend and girlfriend at that particular time. She wasn't, she hadn't broken as an artist yet. She wasn't the famous Cheryl Crow yet. So Kevin comes in to this little club in the, in, a, in the mountains. I meet him totally by chance. I was already a fan of his music, but then we start talking and we, I told my Genesis connection and I was a big fan and he's a big fan. And we, you know, we chatted and stuff, drank a lot of, I don't know, we were drinking tequila or something like that. And then I didn't hear from him for six months. I tried to keep in touch. And then he called me because there was a progressive rock festival in LA called Prague Fest. And he wanted to redo the lamb lies down on Broadway. Somehow he remembered that I was a Genesis nut and called me and I showed up and played the first rehearsal. And from that gig, he asked me to join his band and my whole life changed. Wow, man. I mean, that's so, I mean, it was very random, but it was definitely because, um, I was out there just meeting everybody I could. Yeah. And, and, you know, those stories are so, um, sessions really did pay off in the end I was to make that connection, but, um, I was pretty determined and it finally happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, those stories are just so prevalent. I mean, you, you have to say yes to every opportunity, um, because you never know when that gig is going to lead to something else. And, and we talk about sure. that a lot on, you know, on this podcast and, you know, how does a drummer take control of their career? And, you know, I think step one is to play every gig you possibly can. Um, so you, do this gig with Kevin, you know, recreating, um, you know, a, a classic Genesis album at Prague Fest. Um, and, and I get a little fuzzy on your timeline here, but at, at some point in there, you end up in the room with as the drummer in Tears for Fears. And I, I don't exactly know how Spock's beard and Tears for Fears overlap, <laughs> but I know that they right. do overlap, right? Right. Well, I had Spock's beard early on. So I joined Spock's beard or was one of the co-creators in 1990. So I had, I did have my first, my, my first original band during this time, which was Spock's beard. Um, we didn't make our first record until almost 1994 or so. But anyway, um, it's because through meeting Kevin and joining his band, I met the drummer, Brian McLeod. Uh, do you know Brian at all? I, I don't know him personally, but I know the name, certainly. You know the name. Okay, he's one of the greatest drummers ever that most people don't know of. He was never one of those guys that was out there, you know, trying to get magazine time and all of this kind of stuff. He had big gigs, but he was a great studio musician. He did tons of sessions in L.A. with lots of big people. And um, Brian was the drummer in... Tuesday night music club with Kevin and all the guys writing Cheryl Crow's music. Um, he was part of the Tuesday night music club. Well, fast forward. I do the thing with Kevin. 
I'm touring with Kevin now, uh, promoting his record Thud, which Brian played drums on because it was before I met Kevin that they recorded it. And then uh, we're back in Kevin's studio jamming on some other thing. We started a band together, me, Brian, and Kevin called Caviar. This really kind of weird avant-garde thing that Kevin wanted to do. And I just wanted to be in the room making music with these guys. So I was playing bass and other instruments and stuff like that. Well, Ke uh, Brian played drums on the record Raul and the Kings of Spain. And he was also on the Elemental Tour with Tears for Fears, which I saw live. And then the time that came to tour for the Raul and Kings of Spain record, and Brian didn't want to go on the road. He wanted to stay back and keep pursuing this band with Kevin, this band Caviar. So he recommended me for Tears for Fears. And that's how I got the gig. <laughs> that so is... meeting Kevin, I met Brian. Brian recommended me to Tears for Fears. I got that gig. Wow. And, and I got it almost, I got it pretty much sight unseen because on Kevin, on Brian's word, which is pretty, it's not normal, but it worked out in, in my favor. Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, it, when you end up in a, um, you know, a, a, how do I want to say this? A name brand gig like Tears for Fears with, you know, tons of platinum hanging on the wall, uh, artists like that. Um, yeah. the, the die is cast at that point. I mean, you, you can kind of, you know, move around a, as you see fit. You're a known commodity at that point, I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, it definitely helps to have that name on your, on your resume, you know, and to say you're in a certain band and you're doing this because it just, it's, uh, even for the non-musician, you know, they, 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 you seem that you're at a different level, you know, and it, uh, it, it's more professional, which is not really the right word, not the right term I'm looking for, but it's, it just lifts you up to a different level. And that's, and that's because of the group of people that all of a sudden I was hanging out with from meeting Kevin, big time producers and record makers and other musicians that were doing stuff, you know, that, that big money things. And, you know, Kevin worked for Madonna and all kinds of other huge pop artists that were spent working in the best studios in LA and all this kinds of stuff. So it was just, it was me getting my toes, dipping my toes in the water of a, uh, of a smaller pool of more important sort of people that had more decision makers and that kind of stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, yeah. as you said, having that name on your resume, um, it, it means a lot, you know, and, I know, again, I'm probably not going to get the, the chronology exactly right here, but, you know, you did the Tears for Fears gig for some time. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess right after that, you know, you're still doing Spock's Beard all along, which is just incredible music. And you're playing on that stuff is just so amazing. I'm a fan, you know, and I'm trying Thank not you. to, to fanboy out here, but... Um, you know, that led to you doing some stuff with, with Genesis, you know, the band that you grew up listening to. Um, right. I, that's got to be a please God pinch me kind of moment, right? It was very strange. And again, this was this all stemmed through Kevin because um, I was on the road with Tears or Fears in London and Kevin called me. Uh, emailed me guys. It's really <laughs> email was just at its infancy back then. It's really funny to talk about how just 
not that long ago, only 20 years ago, we didn't have all the technology. We were so spoiled with the technology we have now. But yeah, email was just at the beginning stages. So he emailed me or somehow faxed me at the hotel or something like that and said, he heard that Phil Collins was leaving Genesis or left Genesis and they might be auditioning drummers. He goes, you're in London, man. You should find where the, uh, the management office is and invite him to the Tears for Fears gig or bring him a CD or something. Or I wouldn't have thought of that if he hadn't called me and reached out to me and told me to do it. Because I didn't know either. I mean, I didn't, hear, I didn't read this news article or hear this post or anything. So it was directly from Kevin's mouth that he told me I should do this. And that's exactly what I did. So I found out where Hit Run was in London. And I, would, I had the day out to go do it. And I had the, the very first Spock's Beard CD, The Light. That's all I had. It was my only professional recording I had ever made at that point. And I showed up and uh, met the secretary. I forget her name at this point. Uh, Carol, I think was her name, Carol Willis. And uh, their manager happened to be there. Um, and I left him the CD. And I said, listen, I'm in tears for fears. We're playing tomorrow night at Shepherd's Bush. I'd love for you all to come to the show. And if, if by chance um, I could get an audition with Genesis too, that'd be really great. <laughs> <laughs> and I left. And, and, um, and after that, um, I didn't hear anything for a while. And then another thing happened that helped me got, get this gig. Kevin wrote a personal handwritten letter, I mean, typed, hand-typed letter to Peter Gabriel, telling Peter Gabriel that they should hire me to be the drummer in the band. Because I think at that point there was talk about him reuniting or they were going to do something together. And for some reason he thought, I mean, he went way out of his way for me, dude. I don't know how, why he even did it. You know, I mean, that's a huge thing to do that. I found the letter way after he passed away in archives somewhere that he went through this trouble. Now, I don't know if the guys in Genesis actually ever saw that. I mean, like Tony Banks or Mike Rutherford, but I mean, it was handwritten and sent and all this kind of shit and with a stamp and the whole nine yards. And then so then I got a phone call from their recording engineer, Nick Davis, a good six months after I got off the road. And on a Sunday morning and asked if I could send them some more stuff that I had played on. And I sent a dat tape to England <laughs> yeah, wow. with, with some more stuff. And then they, they flew me out to audition. And then I got the gig. That's just freaking really strange. And, uh, you know, it was all kind of because of Kevin. Yeah, man. Well, when you have somebody in your corner like that, that, you know, uh, and I've had people like that in my life as well you know, yeah. whose word carries some weight and, you know, they say, Hey, you know, you really ought to talk to Jamie. He's a great drummer. And, and I think he'd be perfect for you. Um, you know, it, it may not get you the gig, but it gets you in the door. Right. Sure. So, yeah. um, well, one other thing, one last thing about Kevin real quick before we move on is that what's strange about it is I only Kevin, I was only in Kevin's life for a year and a half cause he passed away about a year and a half after I met him. Um, he died accidentally and at 26 years old, 29, uh, for, uh, it was 1995. And, um, so I, I mean, I barely knew the guy, Yeah. but we, we made this great connection. I mean, he taught me at engineer. I was at his studio every day. I lived five minutes from his studio. I had keys to go to the studio anytime I wanted this kind of stuff. So I don't know why he took me in, what, what, what it was that, 
we just connected and why he wanted, he felt the need to help me out of God and then intervened. I don't know, however you want to look at it. Um, it was something special there and it really did a, a big thing for me in my life and overall for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, and you know, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm going to skip around here a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. I know it, some point, you know, and, and you've been happily married for a lot of years and you've got a beautiful family, but I, I know after, you know, kind of grinding it out on the road for a lot of time, um, yeah. you know, you, you kind of came to a crossroads at, at some point and you were like, okay, you know, I can keep doing, you know, three month tours, six month tours or whatever, but the Cirque du Soleil gig kind of came up and, um, at the time they provided, you know, education, you kind of did the road show, the, the Cirque du Soleil that, that went and set up Touring, in a town yeah. and, and played for, yeah. you know, several weeks. Three months. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, let me just say this. And I thought of this quip the other day, but guys that play with Cirque du Soleil, it's kind of like, you know, playing on a Steely Dan record. Everybody knows you're really good. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I, I know you did that for quite some time. Um, how interesting a gig was that? I mean, I've known other players that have played in that organization, and you've got to be really good to do it. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it was. Um, well, let me take one little step back there. Um, Please. The gig, the gig came about Cirque du Soleil because I, there was, I, was, I wasn't working at all, really. I mean, I was still in Tears for Fears uh, in name, right? But they were only touring maybe a few weeks a year. So it definitely was not paying the bill at that time. By the time I got to around 2008, 2009, they were barely working and didn't know what they were doing, thinking about the records and stuff. So for me, when they had gigs, they called me, but I wasn't making enough money. So I was back to doing cover gigs and weddings and just anything. Spock's Beard wasn't touring that much to really make a ton of money. Um, so I was back to hustling big time and things were getting really tight. Um, so that's when I auditioned for Cirque and it took a while for them to get back to me. But then when they did, it was a hard decision to make because we knew that we had to, the whole family would have to get up and leave, move to Canada. My kids were 10 and 12 years old. Um, so it was a huge move for us. But when we did it, the initial thing of it was, okay, it was something I had to get used to because the biggest thing I had to get used to was playing in a, in a drum booth behind the stage. I wasn't on the bandstand, which at the beginning really was disappointing. Um, but all that being said, long story short, it ended up being a fantastic gig. It was awesome. Very repetitive. I did the show 1,426 times. My God. I never missed it. That was just paid shows. That doesn't include the 12 weeks of rehearsal before the show even started, the, sh the dress rehearsals before every city, the, anytime we needed to change things. So I probably ended up doing the show over 2000 times, but um, yeah, it was, it ended up being a fantastic gig. I was in the best shape of my life. The band was really great. My family and, and my kids got to see Europe and live there. You know, they got to be on the road with people from all kinds of different countries and cultures, learn different languages. Um, and overall it was a fantastic experience. Well, yeah, man. I mean, everybody dreams of it was just something I had to get used to. 
Because yeah. I was just used to playing rock gigs and showing up and, and rocking and leaving and set, tearing down my gear. This was, this was kind of a lot of moving around, a lot of hard work, 10 shows a week, you know, doing the same thing. But thankfully, the gig that I was on, my, my show Totem, was, um, well, a drummer was one of the composers of the, of the music of the show. So that was kind of in my favor because he, he, the songs were kind of rocking. It was all based around Native American and Native uh, Canadian uh, rhythms and music and culture. So there was a lot of drumming in the show. And I got to play my butt off and I could really change up what I was doing from show to show just a little bit, you know, to make it sort of uh, interesting to me, the guitar player, the keyboard player, they could, they had to play the same notes every time, <laughs> but I could do a different, I could do a different fill here, change up the groove a lot, a little bit here. No one would really know the difference except the guys in the band. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was a little more interesting in that respect for me. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I mean, it was great. Yeah. It, well, everybody dreams and it of saved us. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, everybody dreams of running away and joining the circus, right? I mean, and you got to well, do it with your whole family. Yeah, and this was this is high end circus. Yeah, you know? I mean, for this sure. is uh, you. We got to stay in some really nice apartments. That, yeah, some were, some were better than others, but you know, living in Manhattan, living in London, living in Amsterdam, um, all over the. I've seen this whole country. I've seen the United States from to every corner, top to bottom, left to right, um, and Canada. So that was cool. And um, hanging out with all these like Olympic athletes and stuff and working out with them every day and all this kind of stuff. So there was a lot of cool perks to it. And um, I, I was I conducted shows. I was assistant band leader. So I got I learned how to conduct the shows and, uh, you know, lead the band and all that kind of stuff. And then I was also singing and playing guitar in the show as well. So I did get to go on stage and perform a little bit on a few on a few songs. That's just, it's just amazing. And you know that, Oh, and the last thing I was going to say, it saved our butt financially, uh, as, as a family, because it really came at a time when it was, it, times were thin, you know? Yeah. And so this was a great, it came when, when we really needed it. And that's how those things usually work out. You know, I mean, at, like it just, you know, it's, it's always darkest before dawn. I always say, you know, yeah, and it like true. these gigs come along and, it's like, oh, wow, you know, and, and you get to bank a little bit of money. And, you know, I know that led you to, to kind of where you are today, um, you know, being born and raised in, in Los Angeles and then getting to see the world and live in all these different cities with Cirque du Soleil, um, you ended up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, you know, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to know you as, you know, the, the chief drum marketer for Sweetwater, which is, that's got to be an awesome gig um, in one way and then maybe not so much in another. And I don't know, you can probably fill in the blanks there, um, but it, you get to play drums all day and talk about drums all day. And that's cool. And you still have all of your creative outlets and we'll get to your new gig here in just a second. Um, but talk to me a little bit about working for Sweetwater and, and what that has afforded you. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, Cirque ended because they closed the school. Um, I probably would have kept the gig for a little while longer. I, but they closed the schooling option, which would meant I've had, had to homeschool the kids and it just, it wasn't really feasible traveling and, 
the kids were starting high school. They wanted to kind of get off the road anyway. So there was a good time for that. And then Sweetwater came to be because my buddy Mark Hornsby was a recording engineer and he was running the recording studios here, trying to build a team for that. And also, well, if you come here and work in the studios, you can do some content as well. And then that's it. So never in our whole lives, never in my whole life, or definitely my, my wife, Tiffany, did we think that we would ever live in a place like Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Midwest, especially being raised and born and raised in Southern California with the sun and the beach and the mountains and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was another one of those crazy moves that we had no idea what we were getting into that worked out in a great way in the end. So now to get to answer your question, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a definitely a different animal. Thankfully, I've worked in the recording studios off and on quite a bit, so I do get to play drums and just make music. But the other part of it, playing with the gear is great, and learning the gear is great, but it's definitely a different mindset. Being behind camera, learning how to, 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 I don't know, you know, you're selling, but you're trying to make it interesting. We sell all kinds of gear, so you really have to kind of put a good face on for everything that you're, you're promoting, you know, um, and try and be as honest about what you're promoting as well. So, so people uh, will, so they can make a good decision when they go buy a piece of gear. So there's really is a lot to it. And this is the first company, even though Cirque du Soleil is a huge corporation, Sweetwater is definitely the, only, the first sort of corporate gig I've ever had, where it's, a, it's sort of a day job. I come, I have an office, I work on stuff, come up with what I'm going to do for videos and things like that. It's much more nine to five. Cirque, I was playing, I was rocking out every night from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. making music and doing a show. So it's a, it was a little bit different. This is definitely a day job. So it's a different mindset, even though I am playing with gear. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but you know, you know, it's again, it was one of those things where it was good for the family. Yeah, because sure. Because what uh, what uh, what happened? If I'm I'm rambling, and I apologize. But what happened was, I had two options after Cirque du Soleil. Thankfully, one was to come to work for Sweetwater, and the other was to go on the road with this artist named Stephen Wilson. Um. I reached out to the bass player that I know, Nick Beggs, and long story short, I started talking to Steven, who I was a huge fan of. I don't know if you know, he's in Porcupine Tree, and he's a longtime solo artist, and he always has these amazing musicians in his band, uh, Gavin Harrison and Marco Miniman and uh, Chad Wackerman, you know, amazing players. And um, I got the gig. I was going to do that gig, and my fan was like, but all of a sudden, I would have to be on the road for six months at a time or more, leave my family, send them back to L.A. while I went on the road. And after thinking about all this kind of stuff, the Sweetwater way was the right decision for the family at the time. Yeah. Well, and I mean, those are the decisions you have to make. Um, yeah. You, you know, and, and those are hard decisions. But, you, you know... At, as a customer of Sweetwater, you know, I mean, I, all the gear in my studio here, most of it came from Sweetwater, you know, so, so <laughs> they are huge, man. Yeah. They're everywhere. Well, I mean, you know, my wife likes the atomic fireballs that they send with the gear, you there know, you I mean, that's, that's kind of the, that's the ticket. I'm allowed to buy gear as long as she gets the atomic fireball. Um, <laughs> you know, you could, you can request them to give you more of those. Really? Like if you don't like the bit, if you don't like the bit of honey or the, whatever else is in there. You could tell them to take that out and put in more fireballs, and they'll do that for you. Okay, well, I'm going to have to call Andrew Plasman <laughs> as soon as we hang up, my sales there engineer. There you go, yeah. 
Um, but, you know, all joking aside, you know, I think you do a great job there. And, you know, Thank it, you. it's um, Sweetwater is huge. Don't get me wrong. But I think that they have kept the vision that the founder, Chuck, had originally when he was just a small operation. And it's the the personal touches. And, you know, look, I, I you know, I'm not in the market for drum gear all the time but if i am i think it's really easy to go say oh i wonder if nick tried this out and did a video on this particular piece of gear um and it's a trusted resource right i mean do you do you get that feedback a lot i do and i'm thankful for it you know it means that i've i've i mean doing these things and doing this gig here i took it seriously and i still do because i don't want to steer people the wrong way so, and I try to make it, I've always tried to make it as entertaining as possible, watching a demo, a gear demo video, you know, and have some fun with it. But yeah, I've tried to do, I've tried to do the right thing and, and, uh, show off what gear can do and try and make people excited to, to buy something. Because when you buy a piece of gear and you, you get it home, especially buying stuff online, like the way most people shop these days, you know, I mean, who thought that buying a drum kit online, anybody would do that? without yeah. playing the drums. Yeah. That happens quite a bit. I mean, this place sells like 200,000 guitars a year Yeah, that people don't touch until they show up at their doorstep. So, yeah, you have to be able to, to, to not only say the right things, but be genuine about it and then actually know what you're talking about so you have credibility as well. So I'm thankful that I've had a, I have a knack for this kind of thing and that people can trust what I say and go out and buy a piece of gear because of it. I think that's cool. Yeah, it, it definitely is, you know, and, you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, we've kind of emailed back and forth to get this set up, you know, um, jo my buddy Josh Touchton at Ludwig, you know, he's been a guest on the yeah. show several times. He was like, man, Nick is one of the most honest people ever. Like, if you send him something and it's junk, he'll tell you that, It'd be like, you know, it's, this isn't good or vice versa. You, he can always find the good in um, you know, a brand that maybe, you know, for example, you have endorsement deals, you know, you endorse certain manufacturer products, um, you know, but you, you don't, uh, how, how am I trying to say this? You never disparage something else, you know, I mean, your job is to, well, yeah, you, you, you know, do that. I you, mean, yeah. you, your job is to say, Hey, here's, what's great about this product. Right. And well, what's really cool. And what I, what I learned from being here, um, I, well, A, I, there was so many brands of drums that I never had a chance in my entire life to ever touch or play. Like I never played a sonar kit, uh, before coming here. Um, I never got to play a Craviato kit or just certain things like that, or even Tama. I'm only a few times that I really played Tama that much. I was a Mapex endorser my whole career. Um, and I had, you know, but there's a lot of brands out in the world. Yeah. And it's really cool to get to know what all these brands do and how, and their, their vision behind what they make. And I could say this in all honesty, everybody makes stuff that's good. You know, it's not, it's pretty rare that you find something that is just a dog and it's not very good because all these companies have the same, they want to make, they want to sell their gear. So they have to make stuff that's decent or no one's going to buy it. So there's a lot of great gear out there from all the manufacturers. And it was a kind of cool education to, to, to get into. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, I just yeah. think you do a great job and you know, Thank you. It, it, it seems like it would be a, 
a pretty cool gig, um, you know, but as you said, it's the nine to five, but you're, you know, and I think this news is out pretty much everywhere, but you're going on tour later this year. I think you guys are starting in Japan and Europe, um, but you have been named as the, the drummer for the Mr. Big tour. Um, yeah. With it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, and look, man, I grew up as a huge fan. How can you not be a fan of Eric Martin, Billy Sheehan and Paul Gilbert and the great late Pat Torpy? How can you totally. not be a fan of that? Right. Um, but I, I'm assuming, you know, uh, that you knew those guys. I'm, I'm, I know Paul and Billy have both done things at Sweetwater. Did you have a connection to them prior to that? Uh, I only met Billy Sheen one time. I think it was a NAM show, and I think it was. I, I met them just like in passing. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm a fan, and then never talked to them again, kind of a thing. <laughs> um, I knew Paul Gilbert a little bit through uh, Mike Portnoy and my, my my old bandmate Neil Morris. They did a bunch of projects together, and Paul had done some stuff with them. And uh, Mike has worked with Paul doing all kinds of things. And um, I started to do stuff with Paul here at Sweetwater for recording workshops and things. And um, I had Paul play on a, on a track on my solo record, Invisible, that I made a couple of years ago. And, um, I, you know, he knows that I sing and stuff. And he just called, he sent me an email last August, asked if I'd be interested in doing this kind of thing. And I just went, I jumped through out of my seat saying, yes, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> of course. Now, thankfully at Sweetwater, since I've been here now, almost like almost nine years, I've had my band big, big train this whole time. And we didn't, we didn't really play too much live stuff. We made a lot of records and I would do that remotely. But when it came to playing live, I would use my vacation time from the job and go to, do gigs with my band and come home. So I was never gone for very long. Um, so this is coming up and it's like a proper tour, you know, which I haven't really done in a quite a long time. And I'm going to play with these amazing musicians. So it sort of came out of me being here at Sweetwater with Paul coming and doing workshops and us doing some jams together and stuff. And he just reached out to me. That's, that's amazing. And you know, I know that, yeah. I, I know that the vocal thing um, you know, has a lot to do with it because of the harmonies yeah. in that band. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously you're, you're very well equipped to handle the drumming duties, but that has to be the icing on the cake that you can come in and do kind of that, you know, third and fourth part harmony with those guys. Yeah. Pat did a lot of singing for that band and he did all the, a lot of the high parts, Yes. And so the being, the, being a singing drummer definitely helped me acquire this gig for sure. And the fact that I've done it as a professional in other bands and on big stages definitely worked in my favor to get this gig for sure. Well, so the tour, it doesn't officially start until late summer. Is that right? Yeah. Mid July. Okay. And you guys are going to, to Japan first. Is that right? Japan starts it, and then uh, although there might be a gig in China before that, I don't know. I don't have it, the exact part, but then everything after Japan is all Southeast Asia. So we're, you know, we're doing Korea and, and Taiwan and the Philippines and 
Singapore and Bangkok, Thailand, all these places that I've never been. Who knows if I'd ever get a chance to go see these places. So it was one of those, I couldn't say no. You know, this is like an opportunity of a lifetime, really. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, North America will happen in 2024. Is that right? That's what they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, and if I read the press release correctly, um, this is kind of the, the, the last hurrah for Mr. Big, right? Yeah. So they, as far as I know, the kind of the way they're describing it is, you know, because Pat, um, the last tour they did with Pat, he, the, his illness had kicked in pretty hard by that point. Uh, Parkinson's, right? And they had, oh my gosh, I'm going to space on the dude's name because I met him. The guy that they had playing drums plays for Ace Freely. It was Matt um, Starr, right? Matt Starr. Thank you for knowing. Yeah, Matt Starr was playing, doing the main drumming, but Pat Torpy was also there. He, they had him play percussion and uh, sing a few things, but his, his, uh, his health was, was definitely not doing too well. And I guess... They didn't. I don't know if they didn't want that to be their final hurrah. You know, they never really got the chance to go out and do the big final tour like a lot of bands get to do. So I'm, you know, and I'm sort of guessing here. I'm not. Uh, don't quote me as that's the only reason. But that's kind of where the feeling I'm getting and through emails and stuff from everybody. They wanted. They wanted to go do it one more time. Yeah. And uh, the COVID and. Pat passing away, they never really got the chance to do it like they wanted to do it. So this is uh, going to be the last hurrah. Well, I, I mean, they couldn't have picked a better guy, Nick. And I, I just, oh I, man, thank you. I, I can't wait to see it. Um, you know, I, I grew up again as a huge Mr. Big fan. Um, you know, and of course, Billy is in like, you know, seven bands today, right? I mean, he's just like so yeah. in demand and, Paul is uh, just um, like a mad scientist on guitar. I mean, he's just a, a genius. Uh, and of course, Eric, you know, just what a great vocalist. And, you know, he's done all kinds of great things. I can't wait to see it. You know, I, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So uh, I, I wish you the it's best cool, of man. luck. It's, it's going to be a, t it's a tough gig, man. It's some of the songs are easier than others for sure. Um, but in general, they're playing music that these guys made when they were 20 in their twenties and thirties. Right. Yeah. So the physicality of some of these tunes is made for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so those parts, man, where I have to really work to get back in shape for certain things. Yeah. Um, the song, I don't know if they're going to do it, but I'm assuming they will because it always seems like they played it live in the past. There's a tune called Colorado bulldog. And, um, it's got that sort of hot for teacher, you know, um, uh, space boogie, uh, double bass shuffle yeah. thing to it. Right. But it's super fast, right around 260 BPM quarter notes. And that's not necessarily the hardest part. Although playing that, that fast, doing that gig for doing that tempo and that, um, groove for four minutes is tough in itself, but there's a certain section in the middle where Pat turns his feet around to do this unison thing that has to go with the bass and the guitar. And so he does doubles in his right. And anyway, I'd have to make a video on it, but he turns the lead foot around in time at 260 BPM. And, it, and the snare never stops playing two and four. And it is a total mind melder. <laughs> I am 
in order for me to play this right now, and I'm thankfully I have a, like four months before the tour starts, I'm literally about 80 BPM away from where I need to be. <laughs> well, you'll get and, there, right? Oh, I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's like every day I get behind either on my electronic kit or at home when I'm practicing and I just play this where I'm at and just try to build up the tempo. It's just, it's crazy. So there's going to be certain things like that, that I really have to build, build up the stamina. And uh, just like when I was a kid, when you're just like learning how to play certain things, you got to play them slowly and slowly build up the tempo. I totally have to do that with that tune in particular. And then a couple others as well. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you said uh, this is music built for kids. And the first thing that I thought is, yeah, this, this isn't brown eyed girl that you're going on. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> stuff. It's, it's super exciting to know that I'm going to do this. And then right after, literally right after Mr. Big's done, I fly to England and I have my longest tour to date with my band, uh, big, big train directly after it. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone for two months solid which I haven't done since the nineties. So it's going to be pretty exciting this summer. My, my own personal band is, is expanding and growing to a bigger audience, which is cool. And we're going to play some places we've never played before, which is awesome. And then I get to play with a classic rock band and some huge gigs in Asia and go to places I've never been. So, I mean, I'm super blessed and can't wait to do it this summer. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I mean, it, it just sounds like everything's, you know, firing on all cylinders, which is fantastic. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over big, big train at all because, you know, those records are so incredible in and of itself. Um, you know, but as you mentioned earlier, you guys just don't tour a whole lot, you know, you, you're uh, essentially, um, you know, I, I guess you have to take time off work to go do gigs with, with big, big train. And, um, you know, the records are just incredible. So I, I, I mean, I'm just happy for you, man. It's great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, we were, yeah, we were planning on touring a bunch. Uh, we built up to start getting to the, to becoming a touring band. And then um, obviously COVID happened because we had our biggest tour of the States booked. We had like almost 40 shows in the States and Canada booked for 2020. And obviously that got canned. And then our singer David passed away, which is really a kick in the teeth, but, um, so now we're trying to get the momentum back after all of that and, and, uh, got a little few things happening, which is cool. That's awesome, man. Well, Nick, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, but one of our traditions here, uh, on the drum shuffle podcast, we always ask our guests for just a good piece of advice. Um, you know, I know that, um, that you are in many ways a teacher, I think in, in, you know, For sure. So, you know, what would you impart on drummers, no matter the skill level? What are some things that you would point out to, hey, here are things that you should be doing or or perhaps not doing to further your career? Because your career has just been so amazing and it continues to just flourish. Um, You know, what advice would you offer up to all of us? Well, it's going to sound maybe a little cliche, but it totally works is that just be a professional, no matter what level you are. It doesn't necessarily, and this is outside of actually playing the drums. So you've got to be a good person. You got to show up on time. You got to be respectful of people 
your gear has to work. This simple, these little simple things will make you remember a lot more than if you showed up, you slayed a gig, and then you were a complete jerk, and you, no one could depend on you. It's a really important thing. It's just as important as sitting down behind your kit and working on your technique and all of that kind of stuff and um, learning songs. Doing the simple things of being a good person, being on time, making sure your gear works, doing what you say you're going to do is it's almost bigger than actually playing the drum, actually playing the instrument. It goes a long way. If you want to be a pro, you know, and even if you don't want to be a pro where you're making records and you just want to, it's just your cover band that you're, you're a weekend warrior. That still is a huge, uh, a big thing. Even you play in your church band on Sunday and that kind of stuff. All of that stuff is, is the same, no matter what you're doing, because, um, you're working with other people. Music is a, is a, is a thing that we do together. At least most of us do together. And, um, so you need to be able to gel with other personalities and stuff. And, and if you do the right thing, it, it'll just work out in your favor 99% of the time. Yeah. Uh, we say on this show a whole lot, you know, it's not about being able to nail Colorado Bulldog. It's the other 22 hours on the bus with everybody that counts. Yeah, man. It's a big deal for sure. <laughs> it is a big deal. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, hectic schedule to come on and talk with us. We've got to do this again. We've got to do a part two. So ho hopefully when things settle down and, and you get back into the groove and you're back in Fort Wayne and all the touring is over with, maybe we can catch up and uh, do maybe a deeper dive on some of the other stuff. We didn't really even talk about your solo records. We didn't really get into Spock's beard. So there's a whole lot more that I would love to talk about. And I would love to have you back anytime, my friend. Would absolutely love to do it, man. Thank you. You are quite welcome. Nick, thank you so much. We're going to send some folks your way. It's nickdvergilio.com. Uh, uh, you've got a great site that you keep it up to date. So we're going to send some folks your way. But thanks so much, Nick. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, sir. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. Bye-bye. All right, guys and girls. That's going to wrap up episode 156 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. As always, thanks to each and every one of you for listening and tuning in and downloading the episodes. We simply can't do this uh, without the help of each and every one of you. The biggest thing you can do to help us out is to share a link with a friend, uh, leave a star rating review, a thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen to the podcast. It helps us more than you'll ever know, and we sincerely appreciate it. As always, we answer every single email we get here at the podcast, uh, the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com uh, is where to find us via email. The drum shuffle.com is our web address. Uh, again, we appreciate each and every one of you tuning in next week. I am going to be joined by the fantastic, fabulous and great cindy blackman santana so you're not gonna want to miss that so go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use so you won't miss any future episodes so until next time may your head stay strong and your sticks never break cheers everybody 